The Shire at this time had hardly any government. Families, for the most part, managed their own affairs. Growing food and eating it occupied most of their time. In other matters, they were, as a rule, generous and not greedy, but contented and moderate, so that estates, farms, workshops, and small trades tended to remain unchanged for generations. There remained, of course, the ancient tradition concerning the High King Ifornost, or Norberry, as they called it, away north of the Shire. But there had been no king for nearly a thousand years, and even the ruins of King's Norberry were covered with grass. Yet the hobbits still said of wild folk and wicked things, such as trolls, that they had not heard of the king, for they attributed to the king of old all their essential laws, and usually they kept the laws of free will, because they were the rules, as they said, both ancient and just. The Way Lesser Inklings podcast will pay homage to the great thinkers, writers, and philosophers of the early 20th century known as the Inklings by mining great works of literature to examine the good, the true, and the beautiful in order that both us as host and the listener would be enriched and able to see the beauty of God's creation through the written word. Welcome to the premiere, or maybe if we're more stately, the inaugural episode of the Way Lesser Inklings podcast. My name's Josh Rice, and I'm going to be joined every time by my brother, Jake Rice. We are, we're going to be your hosts, kind of taking you through Middle Earth as we go. Um, in, this, in this first episode, I think there's some housekeeping that has to be done, and, and one of the things that we got to do is, is talk about why are we even doing this project? What's the point? Why are we here? So I would pitch that to you, Jake, the first time that they hear your voice. Why why are we doing this? What did you what brought you into this? Yeah, I think there's two primary reasons. One is um, the Lord of the Rings and then on a broader scale, just the, the whole lore of Middle Earth was really important to our family. Um, our dad read The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings to us at a very young age. And then I know you really latched onto it, and you being my bigger brother caused me to want to latch onto it. Uh, and so I think from that standpoint, it's been a big part of our lives for since as long as I can remember. Mm. Um, this, the second thing is, is a posterity play that, as you and I talked about doing this, is sharing our thoughts uh, for a really important work for us with future you know generations of our line you know as as well as friends and uh and others but but primarily to pass it down possibly to to future generations Mm. yeah so it is a work that spans you know it's a work that spans time and generations right and that i think that that brings up something you know because this is going to go on the internet and so you never know who's going to stumble across. I know who we're going to tell about it, you know, and people who are going to listen and they know us and that sort of thing. But for people who don't know us, one, one thing that I would say up front that we're not like we're per se, we're not Tolkien scholars. We're not eggheads. We don't have doctorates. Um, probably, probably best described as, as fans of Tolkien. I have read pretty extensively his works. You know, I've probably, I think, I could say without lying, I've read Lord of the Rings somewhere about 25 to 30 times. 
I've read The Hobbit probably that many times or more, and and The Silmarillion, you know, I've probably read it a dozen times, somewhere in there. It's one of those things where, you know, if you were going to a trivia thing, I don't know every single bit. I've I've not studied as a life work, but it has been the most important piece of non-biblical literature that I've read. It it shapes thoughts and that sort of thing. And so for me, I I know the posterity plays a big deal, and we talked about that. And this has been an idea that's been long in coming to fruition. I think the the other one for me is I just, I want people to be able to appreciate the the beauty and really the genius and the goodness that, that Tolkien put into this work. Cause you know, he poured his soul into it. It's, it's a, it's really amazing work. And I've, I've been reading a lot of classics lately and I was telling Kelsey, you know, my wife, when we were at dinner tonight, I was like, you know, my reading of the classics has only enhanced my appreciation of Tolkien's work. Like it, it really mm-hmm. does stand tall among the greatest works of literature. And I'm not embarrassed to say that. So I think that's why we're here. You know, it, mm-hmm. we, we want people to see it the way we've seen it. Yeah. And, and so we're going to start this out talking about the prologue, which is pretty interesting because, you know, prologues are usually like an inter- introduction to the story. But I would say in this case, it would probably be good advice if you've never read The Lord of the Rings to not read the prologue first. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people agree with that. What Do you agree with that? What do you think yeah, about it? I think what's interesting, I do agree. I think that, um, I think first that it, for a prologue it's really detailed and like very kind of historically written which is you will find in one of the rings like there's an it like there's no secret that it, he wrote it as a mythology um it, so but he holds to it and it's like in some sense it's it's like it's a little <laughs> it's a little heavy for a prologue to come into and go like, what, what am I walking into with this thing? And it's, you know, and it's, and it's really good and it's helpful, but it's like, but it's also not really indicative of his ability to write narrative and poetry. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. He doesn't, he, he doesn't really get into that too much. He does write it as straight history, which is weird. I, you know, our friends, our, our family at listens will definitely remember this. I, I will never forget our uncle Larry, who has no care of Tolkien, didn't know anything. The, so the movies were wildly popular, you know, back in the early 2000s. And I remember one mm-hmm. time we had a family get-together, and we sat down and we turned on the Fellowship of the Ring, the movie. And, it, you know, it goes through the prologue on that, and it's talking about, you know, nine rings were given to men who, above all else, desired power. And, and yeah. Larry goes, what the heck is this? <laughs> it was it was totally lost on him. And I, I could almost hear, like, that would be a person who's not read Lord of the Rings before. And they, they read the prologue and like right off the bat, it says, you know, you can find these histories in the red book of West Marks that was written by Bilbo, you know, and mm-hmm. I can see somebody going, what, what is that? What are you talking about? So it's really not like an intro to the story. I think, I think it is kind of an after the fact, these are some ways to interpret the history. This is some ways to think about what happened. And so, yeah, I, w- I would advise you know, if you've never read and you're listening to this podcast, you never read Lord of the Rings, like listen to us talk about the prologue. It's not going to spoil anything. Um, and, you know, go ahead and skip to the first chapter and, and yeah. we'll catch up with you pretty fast because we're going to basically do a chapter every episode. Uh, any yeah. comments before we kind of get into the meat of this thing? Uh, nope, I don't think so. Okay. Let's well, see it. So, so the prologue is, is basically divided into several parts, and, and we're going to take each of those parts and talk about, you know, first of all, 
what was it about and then what are the things that that are kind of going on maybe beneath the surface what are some things that we can draw attention to that I think are important to get into the mind of Tolkien and that sort of thing what we don't want to do is deconstruct and break things and you know try to pull out little slivers we're trying to look at what Tolkien did and then analyze what he did not try to break it apart and you know <laughs> ascribe to look him for, things that he never wanted to say right look for things that aren't there right so we do yeah. we do want to have basis for it and so the, the first part of this i think is probably the meatiest part of the prologue and is is a part that's just called concerning hobbits where we're talking basically writes what are hobbits you know where did they come from what is their you know their geographic evolution you know using evolution as far as like how they migrated you know how they became different tribes and that sort of thing and he goes mm-hmm. into a lot of detail in that and so you know that's kind of a basic overview and there's a lot of ways to go i kind of let you i know i know you've done a lot of work on it i kind of let you set the pace here where you want to go with concerning hobbits yeah i think the first thing i wanted to do is is the first hat tip to tolkien being committed to his world that like when you like even so say you don't skip the prologue even though we're recommending to skip it (laughs) say you don't like what you're gonna get right out of the gate is that Tolkien's committed to the world he builds because he writes he writes from the outside looking in view and but he writes things like you can find more in you know in the red book of Westmarch right it's like well, we don't have a red book of Westmarch, but he's telling us it's there, <laughs> you know? And so like, it's some historical document out there. And, and that happens throughout the story. But it's like, I think that's just on its face, right on the front. Like you don't get two paragraphs in and he's committed to the world that he's built. Yes. Yeah. So he's not, he's not, it's, it's interesting. He's, he's not writing about it in the way that, you know, a lot of quote fairy stories would be thought of like, you know, so, stuff that comes to mind is like the, a lot of the classic nineties Disney movies, like little mermaid liking it's, it's the stories are told in such a way in those that it's make believe, right? Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) there's, there's not this attention to world building and attention to history and genealogy. Mm -hmm. So you think that you're dipping into a fairy story when you listen to those works, this one, I think one of the reasons it's a key reason why the Lord of the Rings has been so engrossing to people is that it as it's written as history, and and mm-hmm. he even uses this conceit in the prologue that Bilbo wrote this book and that Frodo finished it. It was called the Red Book of the West March, and basically it contains the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings and a lot of other things about hobbits. Yeah. Like it's this huge, you know, I think of it as being right. this huge arcane tome, basically that's like kept in a museum and it's passed yeah. around, and you know, yeah. and everybody, the whole history of the hobbits is in this book, and that's how he starts the prologue and he's so matter of fact about it right and he's just capturing it as an outside historian Mm -hmm. and and then almost you know it it strikes me so he starts with this realism and then he starts to describe magic and i I know Mm -hmm. that that's a thing that's really interesting to you we've had a lot of like off-air conversations about the nature of magic in tolkien's work as opposed to you know the other you know ten thousand pound gorilla of literature in our time which is harry potter right yeah there, and magic is handled in a profoundly different way between the two works because right. because right. to- Tolkien describes the hobbits as seeming to be magical to people right. because they can disappear but then he goes on to say 
this was not magic practiced, but a professional mm -hmm. skill and a, and a heredity. So right. hobbits could disappear because of who they are and because of their professional craft at doing it. But he doesn't say right. that it's, he, he, he doesn't say that it's not magic. He says that it's not magic that's practiced. Very interesting yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we'll encounter more of that. And this is where I think our lack of the academy, right? Where it's like, I don't know what the medieval historic of magic is, right? Like what all its branches, like I know, like I know some, the roots of sorcery or necromancy, which we do find in here. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then that there's sort of like n natural magic. And I think, and I think that that's kind of, I think that he's tapping into to that in this is that there's, there's, there's a magic of nature that exists in all of creation. Um, again, I, I think we're going to encounter that a lot mm -hmm. as, as we go, but like, yeah. So from, from the outside looking in, right. And, and it's that like the hobbits are not nothing special, but yet there's something special inherent to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe like, they're they're not magic in the sense of the way humans have defined magic, but there's a, a magic that's inherent to hobbits because of what they are. Just like elves, you know, he'll describe them later, and we don't we we'll see that because Sam talks about it, all that kind of right. thing as they move on. But then he he goes into talking. That's that's where he starts. He says that hobbits love well ordered and well farmed countryside. That they are small mm -hmm. people, like like three feet tall, and that they love to feast and they laugh. And they are some kind of relatives of humans, but they're not really in any human history until they were thrust into it by this like cataclysmic event of the ring. Right. Right. So yeah. anything you want to say, like, you know, he starts the Hobbit by saying, what is a Hobbit? And, it, you know, in, the, in that book, and he gives kind of a brief description. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think Tolkien was doing? Like, why did he create this kind of creature? Like, why did he use a dwarf? Right. You know, right. why hobbits? Because they are way different from all the other kind of fantasy ideas that yeah. there are fantasy races. Yeah. Um, I, I had, I have a couple of thoughts. I think um, that one is like, even, I think even in the history of fantasy with, and, and a lot of that would be attributed to Tolkien, but just like, those other races have sort of this predisposed bent toward adventure hmm. or toward or whatever, right? Like conflict in civilization. And it's like he, he goes out to craft this. I, I think my long view is that he, like the introduction of the ring into Hobbit society is like none of even this little people, who are not special, right? I, I wrote down, right, that they're like this unknown people who were not even known among the great or the wise, mm -hmm. you know, until they were forced to be. And the, the great and the wise were scratching, right? I, I need to, I'll look it up real quick. But um, here, I've got it right here. These little people seemed of very little importance, but in the days of Bilbo and of Frodo, his heir, they suddenly became, by no wish of their own, both important and renowned and troubled the counsels of the wise and the great. Mm. It's like even this little people whose 
greatest desires were to be away from everybody, to not engage in technology, to not engage in government, to not engage in, you know, civilization, the reigns of kings, any of that. Mm-hmm. They still couldn't escape the the reach of what peoples have to deal with. Yeah, it's come you know, I this is gonna assume that maybe the listeners may exposed to, you know, the other famous inkling C.S. Lewis's work. You know, it occurs to me in The Last Battle in the Chronicles of Narnia that, you know, the 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 people of Narnia have been bamboozled by this, you know, fake Aslan and all this stuff. And the dwarves splinter off and they start chanting, the dwarves are for the dwarves. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it's a real selfish kind of thing that's kind of devoid of virtue. But it, it occurs to me that Tolkien, almost in a moral way, paints a picture of a people, the hobbits. Who, the hobbits are for the hobbits. They, they don't really mm-hmm. want strangers. They don't really want to do anything besides their own business. Like, they, they don't fight. They, they're not really interested about what's in history or what's on the edges of the maps or anything like that. But at the same time, he writes about them really affectionately. And I, I do wonder, like, it could be reading something into it. I don't think so, though. I, I think Tolkien maybe longed for that, that kind of idyllic life because he had been in the horrors of World War One and had seen what, mm-hmm. you know, what violence, what, what the desire to take over and to dominate other countries, like these, you know, meddling in other nations' business, like that sort of thing. It had brought this huge terrible event you know where where boys were were dying left and right and his you know his countrymen were just gone and so i wonder if he reaches to say you know hey i'm going to criticize this kind of you know almost disinterested like to the expense of even caring about they don't care about learning right they they really just want to smoke pipes have six meals a day and and just talk to each other and not have any controversy, not to do anything adventurous, not to do anything weird. Like they have a social structure that's pushing everything and you don't break this social structure. And it's almost like he, right. he writes about that in an idyllic way while also at the same time he criticizes it. And then ultimately I think what the ring says, that's not possible, right? Mm-hmm. You might be able to do it for a thousand years, you know, right. but it's not possible to stay that right. way forever because you're going to have to get involved. You know, right. you're, you're part of the world that was created. Yeah. You have to be part of it. Right. And I, I think that gets to what we've talked about a lot. And I know, I know we'll get there even heavier when we get into the chapters that really are concerned with hobbits at the start of the Lord of the Rings is, is just drawing attention to the fact that the hobbits, the hobbits really are like inward focused. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not very a, much. So. And it, it, there's a selfish aspect to it, but I don't think it's overall selfish. I think I think Tolkien writes it as though they they really do just want to be left alone. Not so they can mass a bunch of glory and riches. It's just that right. they're content to just eat and love each other, really. It's almost right. like a it's almost like some idea of a Zen commune or something. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which like I think it's interesting you said uh like the inward focus is because right they don't pursue any education or any of that sort of thing the only that he does write there are two things i wrote Mm -hmm. they so i will say too it's like they're not they're also not a lazy people right like they're not engaged with the outside world but he wrote that 
the only craft that they don't practice is or that they practice little was shoemaking right? <laughs> because they they don't need shoes but, but it's like but they're still they're still very industrious right in their in their inner facing but that that lack of education basically he writes that the only thing that that they care about sort of educationally or historically is family trees mm-hmm. right and they have deep like you get confused i get confused in two seconds even with them talking about their stuff in the book it's like but that's that's what they care about yeah yeah they <laughs> that's that's really the only thing they like to it is interesting you said so that spurred me and i I hadn't jotted down or even thought about it, but it is, it is interesting, you know, and that's where I said the Zen commune, there, there's this idea, it's pervasive in our world, right? Because we have unprecedented wealth in America, mm-hmm. like all this information, we don't have to farm, like all these things. And and I think yeah. that we can slip into the idea of thinking that the hobbits, like they, they really just want to relax all the time, but that's not mm-hmm. what Tolkien is saying. Like they, no. they want to till the earth. They want to, you know, they make their food. They, you know, they go to great lengths, as we'll see in the party chapter, you know, the chapter one, they go to great lengths to, to like give yeah. gifts to each other. You know, right. they, they go to a lot of trouble to give hospitality. Like they're not lazy, but they, right. they, do, they just don't care about anything that's going on outside of their, you know, self-government, you know, defined area. They've, they've roped themselves off and they right. don't trust anybody from, from outside of that you know, the Shire, if you're a Shire hobbit. Right. And there's even, I don't know, and there's even tensions between the Brelander hobbits and Mm -hmm. the Shire hobbits. Like, they're still friendly, right? Because they're not a confrontational people. Right. But, like, there's, like, they call it, you know, like, the Bree hobbits call them the colonists. And there's, like, there's, you know, there's that little sniping of being outside the borders. Yeah, it it does make me wonder, too. I, I imagine, you know, we've... We were, we traveled to United Kingdom, you know, years and years ago, you know, over 20 years ago. But one of the things that I do remember is like the rolling green countryside, you know, out in the, you know, the, the rolling hills and sheep and that sort of thing. And, and I wonder if, you know, Tolkien has this idea that the hobbits constantly in the story get looked at as being like just soft and weak, you know, like. I wonder how they would react if they had some hardship. But Tolkien says in Concerning Hobbits that that they they were accustomed to plenty, but the the, the, the plenty didn't have a hold on their hearts. They, they weren't mm-hmm. greedy and desiring to get more. They just had it, and they were used to it. Yes. But that they're really tough still. Like, they're not right. easily cowed. You know, they, they had some sternness yeah. to them. Right. Yeah, and that was one, that was a section that, really stuck out to me and i know like outside of this you and i talk about the the curse of wealth and ease a lot mm-hmm. you know not like just in the context of culture and, and even in our own life like what what the what wealth and ease can do to you right, to to bring laziness but yeah tolkien writes you know after uh talking about their prosperity nonetheless ease and peace had left this people still curiously tough They were, if it came to it, difficult to daunt or to kill, and they were perhaps so unwearyingly fond of good things, not least because they could, when put to it, do without them, and could survive rough handling by grief, foe, or whether in a way that astonished those who did not know them well. You know, 
And it's <laughs> I, like I gotta it, say that yeah. that's perplexing to me. Yeah, that, that is really an area where I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I get it. You, you yeah. have any thoughts on that to, to help me out there? Yeah, I think. Well, there's the first thing I think that. Um, the first thing that came to mind when I read that was that is is honestly like the Apostle Paul writing about being like being ready for the enemy regardless of your station and that's not exactly what Paul's writing about Mm -hmm. but like there's there's a theme in there that's like whether like whatever my station is it's like it's not going to change the right the joy that we have Mm -hmm. and so I think that um I think that in this case is like because they're a hearty people because their joy is in their community and their family and that that's the thing that's hmm. important and that's the thing that's also their sin which i think we'll definitely talk about later yeah uh you know uh, that's kind of what stands out to me is that 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 their joy is is in their people not in their possessions yeah and i wonder if you know tolkien as as a professing christian you know you think of the the great stories of scripture you know i think of abraham who was you know, in his time was just fabulously wealthy, but, you know, risked it all to go to war to, you know, to help his nephew, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think of Nehemiah, who was extraordinarily wealthy, but, you know, risked it all to go, you know, build walls and have enemies against mm-hmm. him and that sort of thing. So maybe there is right. that idea, you know, that Tolkien, Tolkien, I think, loved peace, right? Loved to smoke his pipe and drink yeah. tea you know, and think about Sit language, the but at the same friends. time he went yeah. and fought and was at the Battle of Somme, you know, like yeah. really harrowing stuff. And obviously he kept his mental fortitude, right? He came back from the war and he wrote this literature yeah. and it was not cynical right. whatsoever. It's right. very hopeful. It's very optimistic. You right. know, he, he didn't have his spirit broken. Maybe, maybe there is some connection to the way the hobbits are in that they're, it's not easy that their spirit can be broken. They, right. They have a lot, but they don't hold on to it. It's right. Right. We, we can yeah. wait. We're patient. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I do think like, there's one interesting thing there that, uh, he doesn't talk about it much. I don't think, but it's like, they, they seem very interested in family and generations, but they don't seem to have like a lot of children. Hmm. You know, it's like there's somewhere in between, like, humans, like, in the story, humans, you know, tend to have more, mm-hmm. right? Like, probably three to five, you know, elves generally have one or two. Right. You know, uh, and dwarves are probably two to, I don't know, two to three, typically, but, but less. The longer-lived creatures mm-hmm. seem to be less. Yeah, so um, and given that, we should probably give some background. People don't know that you know, elves were obviously immortal. You know, they mm-hmm. they would never die of natural causes. Uh, dwarves, right. it wasn't uncommon for dwarves to live. You know, two hundred years, one hundred fifty to two hundred years, and hobbits would probably on average live about you know a hundred to one hundred and ten years. Right, and then humans were more like, you know, the the lesser humans. You know, that will run into them, or they're more like what we would expect today. And then the greater yeah. men of Numenor would live longer lives, like much longer lives. But it was always right. lessening. So there's kind of that idea that, you know, 
there they were definitely multiplying right the hobbits yeah. were they were filling up the land but the two most exceptional hobbits in their history were bachelors right. and had no children so yeah what do you think tolkien's doing with that because he does call it out in this part of concerning hobbits he says that that they were exceptional for many reasons but the the reason he calls out here is that they they were bachelors that they didn't have mm -hmm. families when most hobbits had yeah. families yeah um Yeah, I, I haven't actually thought about the question. I think my instinct is like there is an exceptionalism out of the gate that it's that even like that it's still like it's culturally odd, <laughs> right? To not to not take a to yeah. not have a spouse. Yeah, and they are um, they are described as being weird. We'll definitely get to that. Like they're kind of begrudgingly accepted by society. You know, the, mm -hmm. the Frodo and Bilbo because they yeah. are odd, and that's right. that's a reason they're odd. Why do you not have yep. a family? Right. I, I yeah. wonder what he was doing with it. I, I think that there there could be the example of because because what it gets into is that while the hobbits as a people were so they don't care about learning, Bilbo and Frodo are exactly the opposite of that. And and in fact, as right. we get into this prologue, Bilbo Bilbo wrote in Tolkien's world like classic, timeless literature and history you know the the idea i think or the conceit is, is that bilbo translated to the common tongue like the silmarillion which is considered a just a tremendous work you know mm -hmm. and so he was a bilbo was a scholar right and frodo's right. presented as an adventurer right frodo from the outset mm -hmm. is wanting to get out of the land right. he's curious you know yeah so they're different yeah. they're exceptional because they're different but also i think there's a there's a real sense that they have a weighty task. You yeah. Know, there's a thing that has to be done for their people. So they almost multiply right. their people more by sacrificing, right. you know, where Paul says that, you know, Paul, Paul was single in his ministry and yeah. he was able to do things righteously right. in his ministry that, that the married apostles weren't able to do because he could just move right. around at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe there's some element yeah. of that. Right. But there's a right. There's a there is and there is a responsibility that comes with right with having having a family that you know again like I, I agree. There's probably a like in Tolkien's mind. There's an inherent call to the adventure, you know, that's kind of deep seated that causes them to not right not pursue the family. Hmm. Yeah, and because he. Go yeah. ahead. Well, I was going to say, because even like, even against, you know, I don't know how ticky tacky we are on spoilers with a book that's been out for 80 years. <laughs> no, I don't think they exist. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. Um, and a very popular movie series that's been out for 20 now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, even like when they're on uh, in the cracks of doom, right? Just even at that point, like, when Frodo and Sam reveal their desires, thinking they're going to die, hmm. right? Like Sam's desires were for a family. You yeah. know, he, he tagged along on the adventure out of, out of duty and loyalty, but his desires were for a family. Frodo expresses no such desire. Right. Yeah. Frodo's all about mission. Yeah. The whole time that he's, it's a single minded thing. I got to do this yeah. thing and then I can die. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I think I think in rounding out, we're, we yeah. 
probably done about what we want to, but I think I think we have to do this one other thing in concerning hobbits, and I hate to do it. It's because of the abomination. If you've seen the Rings of Power, right? So there's this there's this rights thing, right? Where yeah. they refuse. First of all, they put hobbits in the thing about Second Age, and they're not in the Second Age. Like right. they're they're not a people in Middle Earth. So that's crossing the line. But then they because of rights issues. My understanding is they refuse to call them hobbits. And in fact, they mm-hmm. corrected people in Q&A and stuff, and they referred them as Harfoots all the time. So we probably right. would do a service to talk about, like, did right. they just make up Harfoots? What's all that about? Because this prologue addresses right. the types of hobbits and how it all settled out. Are, yeah. you, are you pretty ready to roll on that, you think? Yeah. Kind of line that out? Yes. Yeah. So it is interesting because the, right, so there's three, basically there's three branches of hobbits. There's Harfoots, Stores, and Thalhides. Um, they all have their, and and they all have kind of tribalistic uh, qualities, like like any right, like any subset of a culture would. Um, again, I think real quick there again another nod to his the his historical approach, right? Like they're all branches of the same race, you know with different tribal attributes. Um, but yeah, I think, um, th- I mean, they're clearly, <laughs> they're clearly all hobbits and, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, it seems that the Shire is primarily, um, you know, at that point, at this point in the story that it's primarily made up of, of Harfoots, mm-hmm. which is probably why the Amazon, <laughs> cash cow decided to go with those because they're going to be the most prominent down the road Mm -hmm. yeah and and kind of the idea was that the the harfoots were really what you think of as the the kind of agricultural you know right stay and cultivate farmers that sort of thing the stores were river people so they fished and so you know in the shire i know we'll get there because there's a lot but the, the stores there are stores in the Shire, but they, they're kind of in Buckland, right? Yeah. And then the Fallahides were almost like a nomadic people that yeah. liked to hunt and they were a little bit bigger and wilder than the others. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I did note this. That it's interesting that Tolkien takes that. So the Fallahides of the three tribes, when you get into the Shire, as we're introduced to it, the Fallahides would be the kind of hobbits that other hobbits would kind of look down on, right? Like, right. you're adventurous, you're, why are you not just settle down and farm and have family and enjoy the ale, you know, that sort of thing. But the Fallahides, Tolkien writes that they interspersed with the other, with the stores and the Harfoots, and that the Fallahides most often became chieftains of those tribes. So maybe there's this right. nod to, like, there has to be an inherent, like, your adventurous spirit, you know, your kind of hard-edged masculinity is going to lead right. to leadership and and so the tooks and brandy bucks are both you know descended from Fallahides, and they're like right. the big they're the big right. rulers like the took fane is the is the ruler of the shire when things go bad you know right interesting how yeah. he did that because they seem to be yeah. the less respected but maybe the most revered when things get in a pinch right yeah and we'll, we'll more on that in the next section because I think as we round on, did you have anything else on that section? It's a, it's you know if you're getting no. bored of us already that we we knew that was going to be the longest section by far talking about concerning yeah. hobbits because it's foundational to the story. 
So his next one, right. curiously, the next section of the prologue is called <laughs> it's called concerning pipeweed. <laughs> so yeah. so the professor the professor thought that it was important to you know put a few pages and clarify the lore of hobbits smoking pipeweed. Right. So, so what's that all about? Yeah. Uh, it's, I think, <laughs> well, it's, it is there, it is there other than in the later fourth age, right? Which is what we're in now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, their ability to disappear. It's basically their re- most renowned gift to middle earth. <laughs> is there cultivating of pipe weed that's smokable? Yeah. So they um, take tremendous pride in that, that great they were pride. the first ones to smoke. And, and he and to be fair, like I saw, there was a lot of jokes when the movies came out, and I think some of it was leaned into a little bit by Peter Jackson, you know, who directed the films. That there might be like marijuana, something like that. Tolkien yeah. is very pointed in saying that it is a descendant of a, you know, it has a tobacco name, a nicotine, yeah, like it's a nicotine right type deal. So this is tobacco leaf right. that right. they're smoking. It's I, not hallucinogenic, right? Yeah, it's 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 pure enjoyment. I think for me, what I what I kind of ascribe it to is it's it's the pinnacle of their farming community because mm. like they put in it's right it's their great uh, their great agricultural society, and it's it's like it's the thing that they produce that is kind of a a uh, I think a product of the kings. Court, mm. right the pipe weed is is something that right like the the potatoes go everywhere mm-hmm. you know but the the pipe weed is in the king's court yeah it's interesting it gets credited to being discovered by tobias hornblower and mm-hmm. that's where the the trade name old toby comes from or like you know which is long bottom yeah. leaf and that kind of stuff yeah. but he also goes on and said that it was a plant that was cultivated by the Numenorians, right, in right. Gondor. And so that that would be like the plant of kings. But it says that the kings used it as a as a floral thing, right? right. Galinus was the Numenorian name. And so they yep. they cultivated it and Hornblower brought it back and they smoked it and I'm sure it was really aromatic, you know. Yep. And then interestingly, like from that, like the Dunedine which are the Numenorians in the in the West, you know, the Rangers, mm-hmm. they start smoking it, and the wizards smoke it. And by the mm-hmm. time the story ends, you know, it really is like the most notable, like Saruman, you know, when he takes over the Shire, spoiler, right? He, yeah. one of the big products is bringing in all that leaf yeah. from the South Farthing. Right. So right. it He's was important to him. It. So it's history, yeah. right? I think that's why it's in there. It's the important historical contribution of the hobbits that's really good i yeah. didn't see that when i read it it's good yeah. insight i don't i didn't have much else on that other than you know one of our main characters kind of keeps the records of it you know i guess mary yeah takes it on himself to you know write this famous book of herb lore you know right that, that kind of chronicles the history of, of of the of the leaf grown in the shire so that's concerning pipeweed um yeah. And then the third part is called of the ordering of the Shire. And I, I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting section. It's really short, right? but it kind of mm-hmm. talks about how does the, how do, how do the hobbits govern themselves? 
And the answer is, like, they don't really. Right. <laughs> so how yeah. is that possible? I mean, that, that's the question right. you come away from. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it, it seems the only way it's possible is for everybody to be governed by the same moral standard. Mm -hmm. And he, he doesn't leave that up to thinking, does he? Because, right. you know, you, you would have heard it in the cold open. There's an illusion that there was there were good kings of the Numenorians who established laws. And the yeah. hobbits, you know, even though they were not really involved in the history, there's disputed tales about them sending bowmen to fight the lich king, the witch king at some point, right? Right. But the the law of the king was good enough for the hobbits, and so they they just accepted it. This is how you're a good right. citizen. You follow the rules. And that's what they call right. them. It's very funny and right. quaint. Follow the rules. Yeah. Follow the rules. <laughs> it reminds me of dad. <laughs> so so there may be an element to it that the the kings of Numenor were so great, right, and so good in their rulership that, that the, you know, the hobbits, in a way, live off the fumes of that kingdom, right? Like, yeah. it, it put it in motion, and then they just have centuries of peace yeah. based on the goodness of that law. And I think there's a right. lot that's interesting about that. Obviously, sure. that's, a, that's a honey hole of mine to talk about, you know, theologically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which we don't have time for here. Yeah. So, so <laughs> that's the that's the answer, right? Is that yeah. the hobbits basically self-govern at a family yeah. level? You know, they right. they teach their children that, right? You know, you follow the rules, right? And I think we see yeah. that pretty quick. You know, and as we get into Lord of the Rings, there's there's a real social current going underneath that you you comply yeah. to the the way the soul, the culture works, and it's all yeah. peaceful, right? Yep. Did you have anything on that section? I know it's, a, it's I, interesting. I, I could wax long on that one, so I'm a yeah. Discipline. I I could in some degree, but basically my only notes were that families manage the affairs that there's no government. <laughs> right. Well, it is interesting. Yeah. You should note that they do have sheriffs, which is important in the yeah. Lord of the Rings. Right. It does. Yeah. It does come into play, um, and we'll talk a lot about that at that point. That chapter is probably going to get two or three episodes. I mean, there's a lot yeah, there. Um, but, but the sheriffs are not, they don't really have to act like police. It's really more like detaining animals that get out. So, mm -hmm. so in a way, they're almost yeah. more like the, you know, the dog catcher. There's a, uh, I know it seems weird, but yeah, there's, there's a little bit of an Andy Griffith mm. kind of tone to that, where it's like in that, right, in that old TV show, it's like, yeah. there's some, like, there's some drunk tank stuff. And that's. <laughs> And there's like in, you know, there's there's interlopers into the town occasionally, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, like Andy's yeah. kind of just the, he's kind of just the, the peacemaker around town. Yeah, it's like settling some petty disputes, you know. Right. No big deal. Pretty, you know, let somebody had a few too many ales sleep it off in the, in the jail yeah. so they don't get in right. trouble, like that sort of. Yeah, thing. Yeah, and it's not. And it's really, it's a funny thing in the show. And I think in Hobbiton, it's like, it's not a, it's not a shame thing, right? It's just like, mm -hmm. all right, get over it and get back to work. <laughs> they may gossip about it because uh, yes, <laughs> I know oh, we'll get oh, to that later. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so that it, we're, we're moving on into the fourth part and the fourth part, there's a, man this is one where you know we could go long but we're not we're going to save it for other parts yeah. this is called of the finding of the ring so if you want to real quick like i don't i don't 
it's probably a good assumption that most people know the story of the Hobbit, but yeah. you want to just do the relevant part here. Like, what do you need to know to get into this story of the Lord of the Rings? Yeah, I think the main thrust, and, and it's I think it's not a coincidence that uh, Tolkien puts this at the end of this section that it's the it's the the pinnacle like zenith moment of hobbit lore mm-hmm. bilbo's finding of the ring um you know so the, the short note of it is that right he by chance or by sovereignty uh which gandalf will point out later mm-hmm. finds the ring um and i think what what tolkien is also points out very poignantly is that he lies immediately after yeah. discovery of the ring. Yeah. Um, you know, which, which in, when you read the Hobbit, it's there, but it's not. And, and there's a line in the Hobbit where Gandalf kind of sort of has a, mm-hmm. at Bilbo's story, mm-hmm. but it doesn't go any further. Cause that's not the crux of the narrative. Yeah. So it, it's, it's really, probably important. It doesn't get repeated in the Lord of the Rings. Like, so what happens if you're familiar with the Hobbit? I'll get the real quick. They're they're going on an adventure. Fro or uh, Bilbo gets left behind in the caves, the orc dun- the orc caves, and he's left alone. He's lost, and he wanders into this big cave with a lake in it. And there's this miserable creature named Gollum in there, who. But before but before Bilbo gets there, he almost like trips in the dark, and he his hand lands on a golden ring, and mm-hmm. you know totally by chance seems like right. So Bilbo goes on. He doesn't know the way out. So Gollum challenges him to a game of riddles. Bilbo's life in exchange for getting out of the cave. If Bilbo wins, Gollum shows him the way out. If Gollum wins, he eats Bilbo. Bilbo, mm-hmm. desperate, takes the deal. It gets into a thing. You know, Tolkien is clear to point. But the last riddle that Bilbo asks is, what have I got in my pocket? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Tolkien says that, you know, not all, not everyone's agreed on whether that was a valid riddle. But Gollum, by accepting the riddle and trying to answer it, all people agree that he is now entered Down into to the, the rules question. of the game, right. right? And so he can't guess it. Gollum goes off. He's a treacherous wretch, like which Tolkien shows in this piece that, you know, Gollum is bound to these rules that you should be afraid to break them, right? It's an ancient history, yeah. a tradition. But Gollum slinks back to his island to get his magic ring that makes the wearer invisible, so that he yeah. can kill Bilbo in, in an act of vile treachery. But Bilbo figures it out, runs off, stumbles in the dark, and the ring goes onto his finger, and Gollum runs right past him. So Bilbo f- figures out what's going on. And then mm-hmm. the whole story. So Bilbo now gets out, has the magic ring. But as the story he tells is that that Gollum told him that if, if Bilbo won, that he would get a birthday present, that he would get this ring, right? And that's a lie. And, and so yeah. Bilbo... Bilbo lies about how he got it. And we probably don't need to dissect here. That's going to come later. There's these ideas of, you know, because it's out of character. You know, hobbits are not liars, right? Bilbo mm-hmm. particularly is not a liar. He's virtuous. And yet he yeah. starts this whole thing feeling the need to tell a lie about a, a, an innocent story, right? Why would right. he lie about that? He didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right? No one right. would think that he did anything wrong. You know, right. he followed the rules, that sort of thing. And so, We'll kind of leave that there. 
and I think it is important to tell the story because it's not in the Lord of the Rings, best I can remember. There's an illusion that he lied to it, maybe that he called it his birthday present, but I think I think you have to know the the narrative there, and so that that teases up later. Yeah, and I I think it's probably good to to leave it there. The last bit is about a note on Shire Records that that basically, you know, Pippin is writing like he's he's writing and his grandson's writing so this idea of kind of what we're doing here right there that yeah. you're you're keeping these histories that there's a posterity that you want to pass these ideas these these events down so that people remember them and i think that's important to tolkien it's important to the hobbits you know and that sort of thing and that's where he ends the prologue did yeah do you have any kind of final thoughts summing this whole thing up tying a bow on it what do, what do we need to walk away from this knowing as we move into chapter one in the next episode? Yeah. Um, I think your narrative was uh, really helpful in like keeping that in mind, particularly in the first couple of chapters where we're kind of doused in hobbits, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and so that's, that's really good. I don't, I don't think I have anything else other than, you know, like I think paying more attention to their inwardness when we go through these first two, you know, first two to three chapters of the Lord of the Rings. Mm, yeah. I, I think they're, yeah, I think, I think their inward focus uh, as a society kind of, it rears itself in other interesting ways in, in those chapters. Oh, good. I, I don't think I have anything else either. The only thing I would say is, is kind of an outro. I, you know, I hope this was a thing that helped you appreciate the work a little bit more. That's our goal in this. If nothing else, I'd, if you listened all the way through, I'm confident that you at least learned something about the importance of tobacco to culture. Because <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. Tolkien felt it very important that you that you know that. <laughs> so, right. So at least hopefully we left you in that. I hope that you'll yeah. join us next time as we get into the actual meat and we start in chapter one of The Lord of the Rings. So Stick with us. Join us next time. Thanks for joining us this time.